Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. I appreciate the opportunity to share some thoughts with you this morning. I do give my apologies for not being there with you. I think uh, circumstances for that are understood, uh, but I hope to be back again with you very, very soon. You know, we've got an election coming up, uh, in case you haven't noticed, in roughly 30 days. And so I thought a topic today that might be helpful to us I have titled, I am a citizen. I am a citizen. And I want to look at it by looking at Paul, his journey to Philippi, and then later on his letter back to the Philippians. So we're going to be in Acts 16 to start off with. Philippi is located in northern Greece. If you can see this map, you can see Israel, the land of Judea, over to the right side. Modern-day Turkey is pretty much in the middle, up near the top. The Romans called that the province of Asia. And then just to the left of that, you see Achaia and Macedonia. That's what today we would call Greece. Uh, you can see Corinth and Athens down in Achaia, in the, province of, the Roman province of Achaia. And then up very close to where you see perhaps Thessalonica in the north is where Philippi was located. Paul ends up going over to Macedonia when he sees the vision of the man from Macedonia calling to him to come over and help us. And when he gets there, the first large city of any size that he goes to is Philippi. So let's pick up in Acts 16, starting in verse 11. We read, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. That's the key word. When Paul visited, Philippi was a Roman city, a colony that had been pretty much founded with retired legionnaires. They were Roman citizens, and children born to Roman citizens would themselves be Romans. And so this is a colony, a piece of Rome itself, as it were. The closest you can imagine, uh, you can think of to understand that is the way we treat embassies today. No matter what country a U.S. embassy is in, inside the walls, in the compound of the embassy, United States, American laws prevail. It is essentially an extension of America into the foreign country. This is the way Romans would have viewed Philippi. As a colony inside the city limits, everything was Roman. For example, even though we were in Greece, Latin, the Roman language, was the language used on monuments, the official language, not Greek, the way it would have been throughout the area of Macedonia and Achaia, modern-day Greece. Here's a picture taken from the tall mountain, the Acropolis near Philippi, and those are the ruins of Philippi. I don't, again, I don't know how well you might be able to see that, but you can see perhaps in the center of the picture what almost looks like a rectangular feature stretching across. That is the ruins of the marketplace, the forum. And when you look uh, at monuments that you find in Philippi, such as this one, these letters that are written on this um, pedestal of this monument are written in Latin. It, to the far right of that, you may be able to make out M-A-T-R-I, Matri talking about mother. Near Philippi, there's only one river within any remote distance, and this is almost certainly here the river where Lydia and some of the ladies that were out at the riverside on the Sabbath were baptized. Somewhere within probably a couple of hundred yards of where I was standing when I was able to make this picture a couple of years ago, 
is where Paul encountered those ladies who had come to the river on the Sabbath for prayer, the river where Lydia was baptized. Let's uh, read a little more, picking up a few verses later. This is after uh, Paul had been annoyed by a young girl that had a spirit uh, who was going around telling everyone that uh, you need to listen to these men. They're telling you about the most high God. Paul became greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command in the name of Jesus Christ, command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And the word for marketplace may very well have been the bema, the judgment seat, more than likely to that rectangular area that you may have been able to see from the picture looking down, almost certainly to the location shown in these pictures. This is a zoomed in picture of the ruins of the marketplace at Philippi, the forum at Philippi. They are ruins because in the early 600 AD timeframe, this whole area was devastated by an earthquake. Here you can see uh, the reconstructions that the people in Philippi have made. If you ever see a column standing in Greece, almost certainly it's been put back up because they know that tourists want pictures of things that don't look broken lying around on the ground. But you can see the fine steps that were leading up from the fairly flat a pavement with the large stones out in the marketplace, the steps leading up to what may very well have been a covered porch uh, leading to some sort of temple or other area. Paul and Silas would have been drugged to these locations. And they brought them to the magistrates, the ruler of the city, and said, these men, talking about Paul and Silas, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Notice that these Romans, these people in Philippi, thought that Paul and Silas were Jews, and the people turning them over are the masters of the slave girl. They were the ones who were upset. At this time, Paul is in Philippi roughly in 51, 52 AD. From the Roman perspective, they didn't see any distinction, no difference at all between Jews and Christians. It is only later that it becomes apparent that the Christians and Jews are in fact two separate groups. So they're simply treating Paul and Silas as Jewish people. Now, just the previous year, the Caesar Claudius had expelled Jews from Rome for being troublemakers. And that is uh, recorded in the Roman historian Suetonius's writings. This Roman colony, a very large percentage of citizens of whom would have been uh, uh, of Roman citizens in Philippi, a decree in Rome, remember, the law in Rome is the law in Philippi. And so Jews were to either have vacated Philippi, or at the very least, keep a very low profile. The last thing you wanted to do if you were a Jew was to cause trouble. Then the multitude rose up together and uh, against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes. The magistrates are not tearing off their own clothes, they're tearing off the clothes of Paul and Silas. The magistrates rushed forward and told off Paul and Silas is closed, and they commanded them, Paul and Silas, to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. When it says beaten with rods, as opposed to getting lashes, lashes with a whip, usually beaten with rods were eight to ten rods of willow bound together 
we might even think more of the shape or size of a very thin baseball bat is really what's in mind here. In this punishment, they had gone up and torn their uh, clothes off, not to beat them on the upper back. This kind of punishment was very uh, middle school, grade school, high school oriented. It was applied usually in public to the offender's rear end. They were essentially whooped, we might say here in the South, with this really thin baseball bat against their rear end in public. Almost always, they were left torn and bleeding. I don't know if you ever got licks in high school or any other time in school. This would have been so much worse. And when they are taken to the prison, they are lashed with their feet in the stocks. If you've seen people with their feet in the stocks, they're usually sitting with their legs out in front of them. I think about that for a bit. They had been beaten on their rear ends, but yet they have to sit at an angle. Their heads up and their legs stretched out. What are they sitting on? their rear ends that had just been beaten. Not exactly a very comfortable thing. What do they do all night? They sing and pray to God. After a night in jail, the rulers want to release them. Um, but Paul said to them, these magistrates, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans. Paul plays the Roman citizen card here and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. Roman law, the problem this creates for them, is Roman law forbid openly punishing Romans. Now, Romans did not want to diminish Roman stature in the eyes of non-Romans by openly punishing their citizens in front of non-citizens. Roman citizens could easily get punished, but they wanted to do it inside where nobody could see. I mean, after all, if you think about beating a Roman out here and you've got some Greeks and barbarians also looking at it, being like, ha, these Romans, look at them. even he's getting whooped up over here. It would have lowered the, the stature, if you will, of the Romans in the eyes of the uh, Greeks and barbarians. And barbarians are just people that didn't even speak Greek. So the problem they have now is if they have thrown Paul and Silas into prison and Paul is a Roman, they have violated a very cardinal law of the Romans. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. They came and pleaded with them and brought them out. So why this terrible fear? Well, it was explicitly forbidden by the Valerian and Portian laws to have a Roman citizen beaten. The Roman historian Livy tells us that. And these laws were passed well before 200 BC. Whenever a Roman citizen was on trial, the citizen could claim his rights by saying, well, I am a Roman citizen. To falsely claim by a Roman citizenship was punishable by death. So, you know, you might be able to put it off for a couple of days, but then if they found out you weren't really a citizen, you were a goner. Uh, Dionysius uh, wrote that the punishment appointed for those who crossed the Valerian law who uh, punished a Roman citizen, had a Roman citizen beaten publicly, was death and confiscation of property. So if you did this, even if it was unknown to you, if you openly punished a Roman citizen, you as the magistrate could be put to death and all of your property from your family could be seized. Being a Roman citizen was a big deal. Probably the nearest thing you can imagine to that would be today saying, well, I'm an American in some parts of the world. The thinking there is, is that no matter what problem you're facing in some parts of the world, claiming to be an American could bring in help, bring in the, the cavalry over the hill to come take care of you. Similar thought here for a Roman citizen.
Paul later wrote to the Philippians. He was in Philippi around 51 or 52 AD. He writes a letter, which we have in the New Testament, called Philippians around 63, 64 AD. So 10 to 13 years later. So I want to ask this question. Based upon what had happened to Paul in Philippi, what does he write back to them about later? Well, there's many, many things, but part of what he incorporates in the letter of Philippians ties into the identity of the people living in Philippi. He writes twice in the letter of Philippians about citizenship. And if we aren't aware that Philippi was a colony and how important citizenship was to the Philippians, how important Roman citizenship was to the Philippians, his mentioning, his pointing out, his talking about citizenship twice in the book of Philippians might just slide right on past. We might not notice it. So let's take a look at what Paul says in Philippians. He says to be good citizens. The statement is in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. In the King James, we read, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. I don't want to pick particularly on the King James Version, but if you read that, you're really not going to have any clue what that's talking about based on uh, the statement in the King James. Was Paul talking about how they were speaking? Was he telling them the words they were choosing needed to be very carefully chosen? Not at all. In the New King James, it's a step closer toward a better translation of what it says. The New King James translates chapter 1, verse 27, and says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So it's certainly not conversation, what they're saying, but even here with the New King James, this is not a very, very good translation because it's not talking about how you act as you go to the store, how you act as you're watching a sporting event. It's not simply your conduct. It's not talking about how they behaved. So it's really not the best translation because in part, the word that Paul usually uses for manner of life, sometimes how you walk or live, is this Greek word here, peripateo, peripateo. That's not what Paul is talking about here, and it's not the word he uses in chapter 1, verse 27. So conversation or conduct, that's what the King James and New King James says. The Greek word actually is this one, and if you look, it looks like it starts out with polite. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. This is a Greek verb. In fact, it's the first command in the entire book of Philippians. Our word politics comes from this word Paul uses that the King James has translated conversation and the New King James has translated conduct. The Amplified Bible does a very good job in this case of translating this part of the verse. Look what the Amplified Bible says and translates it as. Only be sure as citizens to conduct yourself so that your manner of life will be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the idea Paul is using. And the International Standard Version says the only thing that matters is that you continue to live as good citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Strong's Concordance for this statement translates this as live the life of a citizen. It's not talking about how they were speaking. It's not talking about how they're behaving when they go to the store or they're at a sporting event. It's talking about live your life as a citizen so that it will be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Citizenship, earthly citizenship. This is uh, two statements here, one from uh, A.T. Robertson, a Greek scholar from around 1900 from his word pictures in the New Testament book. 
about this Greek word that starts out looking like polite. He says it means to be a citizen, to manage a state's affairs, to live as a citizen. This word occurs only twice in the New Testament, here in Philippians 1.27 and Acts 23, verse 1. The authorized version, meaning King James, misses the figure completely by the word conversation, which did not refer to conduct, but which did refer to conduct and not mere talk as now. The word conversation has changed since the 1611 King James. So it referred in some ways to conduct back in the King James time, certainly not now. But even so, it did not preserve the figure of citizenship. Better to render it, only do you live as citizens. From A.T. Robertson. In that other statement in Acts 23, verse 1, that has uh, the same word that's in Philippians 1.27, we read, Paul, looking tently at the council, the Sanhedrin, said, Brethren, brothers, I have lived my life, and that's the word, as a citizen. I have lived as a citizen, a member of my community, with a perfectly good conscience before God until this day. A couple of other thoughts about this. The exegetical dictionary of the New Testament says, Only be sure as citizens to conduct yourself so that your manner of life will be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is exactly the idea that Paul is communicating here. Conduct your community life, your earthly citizenship. Now, I want you to think, really? Paul's telling the Philippians that after what the authorities did to Paul in Philippi? After all, they drug him into the marketplace. They tore the clothes off of his back and further. They beat him with rods in front of the crowd and then threw him into jail. After what they, how they treated Paul, what they did to Paul? Absolutely because of what Paul had been through. We are to be the best citizens, the best neighbors, the best friends possible. When there is a problem in our community, when there is a tornado, when there's a flood, when there's some sort of storm, when people are hurting, Christians must be the first people running to help. Our lives as citizens, members of our community, will demonstrate Jesus living in us. And we are to be right at the forefront of helping and doing all that we can to be good citizens in the here and now. <clears throat> There's earthly citizenship, but also when you look over in Philippians 3, verse 20, Paul says to remember, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an old word from a different uh, uh, Greek word, and the inscriptions that use this word use it either for citizenship or for the commonwealth, the country. Our country is in heaven. Our membership, our citizenship is in heaven. Paul was proud of his Roman citizenship and found it a protection. The Philippians were also proud of their Roman citizenship. Paul used it on a number of times. I appeal to Caesar. He was using his Roman citizenship in that, play, that point. But we can never forget that Christians are citizens of a kingdom that is not of this world. I am firmly convinced, and we need to pay real close attention to how we view things, God doesn't care much at all what the tax rate is imposed here in America. He doesn't care if it's 28%, 38%, or 99.5%. That is irrelevant from a heavenly perspective. And yet what often happens is, we, living in the here and now, get so connected with what's going on 
in our community, in our country, from politics, that we focus on that without looking at what we really are to be about, which is to love our neighbor and to love God. We cannot allow that to happen to us. Whatever happens, you know, one of the two individuals running for president is going to become president. If the person you don't like gets elected, whoever that may be, the world will continue. As Christians, our focus needs to not change at all because we need to be out there on the front lines of helping our neighbors, helping our community, and focused on telling people about Jesus, period, period. So much more important than being an earthly citizen. We are citizens of heaven. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This world is not your home, so don't get so caught up in it that you focus on that to the exclusion of so many other things. However, focusing on the coming hereafter, our citizenship in heaven can be taken too far, it seems to me. For example, consider David Lipscomb, someone very connected with Lindsley Avenue well over 100 years ago. In this restoration movement in the late 1800s, the early 1900s, there was a big push toward pacifism, not supporting any aggression by earthly governments, and of viewing ourselves as strangers in a strange land, viewing ourselves as citizens of the heavenly kingdom to where we wouldn't even pay attention to what was going on in the here and now. That led many people to teach, including David Lipscomb, that Christians should not vote, Christians should not hold political office and really and truly have nothing to do with the powers of this world. Interestingly, that seemed to change historically during World War II. Apparently, Adolf Hitler convinced many of these individuals in the church that perhaps it really was necessary to be involved in the here and now rather than the view that had held sway back in the late 1800s in David Lipscomb's time. And I really don't think that this idea of more or less removing ourselves from the here and now, focusing so much on the coming citizenship in heaven that we pull away from the here and now doesn't really square very well with Philippians 1.27 to me. Paul is adamant, live your lives as citizens of your community so that they will see the gospel of Christ living in you. There's also a period after that. So when you think about it, we must be good citizens in the here and now. We must help out our neighborhoods, our city, our state, our country. People should always see Christians as the first people who come to help, the first ones who respond, the ones who are the most giving, the most caring. We all must always be that type of individual. But, and there is a but here, but we cannot forget that we are just, in fact, passing through. I don't have any ideas what the next four years are going to bring. I don't have any ideas what's going to happen if one person wins or the other. Let me tell you this. To an extent, it does not matter. America is the country in which we live. Rome was the country. The Roman Empire was the country, the empire in which the first century Christians left, lived. They were to help their neighbors. They were to do what they could. But so much more importantly was being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and focusing on the here and now to where we ignore helping our local neighbors and we ignore the responsibility of our citizenship being in heaven and telling people about Jesus is a failure if we fall into that trap. 
We have dual citizenship in the here and now, as well as a heavenly citizenship, and that is the only one that matters. So I would ask you, are you prepared as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven for the hereafter? If you are a member of God's family, but you have not been living your life the way it ought to be lived, you can change it right now. You can tell your, your friends, your brothers and sisters that you need their prayers, that you need forgiveness, and you can walk out the doors as a member of God's family, walking anew, focusing on loving your neighbor and loving God. If you're not yet a member of his family, there is no better time than right now. You can reach out and you can tell individuals that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. You can repent and turn away from how you've been living your life. And you can be buried in water, die to yourself and be raised to walk in newness of life. You have that opportunity right now. There will never be a better time. Please seize that time right now.